Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Don't be ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. I'm your host, Anthony, and today we cover the season finale of season one. What a great episode. Over at Cocoons of Horror, Steve and I revisit Alien. A lot of Alien fingerprints on this episode. So why don't you rewatch Alien tonight and then meet us over at Cocoons of Horror tomorrow. I will include a short excerpt of that conversation at the end of this podcast. All right, before I get into my conversation with Steve, let's lend our ears to that rotund rodeo clown in the sky, Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sit right here and talk about it. So, Steve, can L teleport or like what? I'm a little confused on what L can actually do. The first time I watched this finale, I I was convinced she sacrificed her life. She had blown into sort of the cosmic leaf blower, the Thanos snap graphics, and she just disappeared. And then, of course, I was happily surprised when I learned that she didn't actually die. But what actually happened when she kills the Demogorgon? She absolutely goes somewhere. She evaporates. Yeah. She teleports. What, what's going on here? Well, yeah, it looks like she sort of uh, dematerializes, right? I didn't know um, that was something that she could do, but clearly she can. Well, well she did it. And when you when you make a thing, you can make it do whatever you want. That's 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 what fiction is. <laughs> well, <laughs> I guess I'm wondering, like, all right, so this this brings up a number of questions. So she leaf blowered the demigorgon, right? Right. And then she got leaf blowered in that same act. Right. So did, she knew it. Did and the she demigorgon? Knew she was going to do it. Yeah. She looks back. At the the music is telling Says that story. Goodbye. Everyone is. Everyone believes that she's dead. She thinks she's going to die, and then she's gone. Does she? I don't know. She says goodbye to Mike. Well, and then she left. And then she left. (laughs) I mean, we assumed she said goodbye because she was going to die, and that Uh was her. But, I mean, I don't, and obviously season two rewatch will probably help, but I don't recall that she was like, yeah, and then all of a sudden I was like not dead. So I, whatever she was doing, she knew what she was doing. And she, I mean, either she knew that there was a possibility that she would die, and that's why she said goodbye, or she knew that 
at a minimum, she was going to sort of disintegrate and then maybe reintegrate somewhere else. I don't but know then how much she like, knew. It could be like, I know my body's a weapon. I know it's going to take a lot out of sort of my energy reservoir. I'm going to empty all the bullets I have to kill this thing. And it may kill me too. I, it could be that that was like she didn't quite know what was going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, the other thing that it brings she to mind is yeah. is the demigorgon really gone? Well, right. I mean, obviously, if if she ain't, why would it be? So was it just a look? I'm, we're getting out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this will get us out of this scenario. Uh, I don't know. I mean, it it, it does. It's one of those things where it's like you're like, oh man, I hope she's not dead. And then you get this. Then there's like, oh, there's that. He goes, oh, she's not. And you're like, and then like. Whoa, the situation you're in now is like okay so how and and you know is it is she surprised that yeah. she's she survived it was it was she willing because there's there's two different acts there right i mean either she was willing to sacrifice herself for her for her friends and all these and the people of hawkins or she knew she she was going to do something that was going to save the day but it was also going to remove her Mm. Um, so here's and, and in that regard she could still be like look i'm gonna disappear and mm-hmm. i'm gonna show up somewhere else but i know i can't come back to this situation because mm. i can't how can i come back to a normal life how can you know this is to some degree i brought this into everybody's life and so how how normal could my life be yeah and maybe I think... she just didn't want to go to the dance yeah, but the dance. She doesn't know how to dance, and it yeah. it frightens the hell out of her to think of being in that socially awkward environment. And that demigorgon shows up like in the nick of time. She's like, "Oh, finally, this is my out." <laughs> she doesn't really like Mike that much. She's yeah, she's like, "Whoa, that kiss was." She's like, to "Be honest, Lucas is more my jam." <laughs> that was like. Kitten food between two slabs of beef jerky. That kiss. <laughs> Don't want. Just that. had. Just. Never she was just again. like, oh, yeah. She that was that was one of the first ghosting moments. <laughs> All right, so here's sort of a meta conversation we could have. I think we could probably figure out if we did a little bit of research here if the Duffer brothers thought that they would be renewed for season two because it would be mm. pretty likely that they wanted to tell a story that would function as a complete story in one season. Right. And if that's the case... It also leaves the door open yes, for more. But... that's right. If that's the case, maybe the that last scene where Hopper puts the waffle in the, I don't know, the food box or whatever. Yeah. I'd be curious to know if that was filmed after the fact. Uh, because mm. without that scene, you just would just assume that Elle is gone, right? Right. Hmm. And it could also work as a as a final a finale that doesn't have another um Sure. Uh I mean like like I think uh the limited series Watchmen is a perfect example of that. Oh, tell, say more about that. I forget what happened well, at the end. Well, the the finale of like it, it kind of almost had that was with the, like about to walk on the water sequence, right? Oh, that's right. And so it's kind of the it it could you could do another season, that's uh, right. or you could just sort of leave leave it in the tension. And I I think it was effective 
uh, it was effective either way, but I think it was for me it was even better when mm. there wasn't another season. Mm. I'm gonna roll these. All right, Steve, I got uh, six storylines identified, and the first storyline that came up is number three. This is Brenner and Goons. Brenner and the Goons. The Goons interrogate Joyce and torture Hopper. They accept Hopper's offer to let them go in exchange for Eleven. The Goons arm themselves and drive to the gym to find Elle. They find the pudding cans and track down the children through the hallways. Eleven causes them all to hemorrhage and bleed out their eyeballs. They all die, including the blonde lady who killed Benny. Brenner shows up and tries to comfort Eleven, but Brenner becomes Demogorgon food. I got a couple questions about this. Do you think that Brenner agrees to let Joyce and Hopper go because he's basically sending them into the Upside Down and he's thinking... There's no way that they survived this. Yeah, I think that this was a... It's a very odd move by Hopper. This, I, yeah. we talked in the last episode, when it, you know, get get himself caught, was this a good plan? Uh, if you add this plan, that makes the last one bad plan. <laughs> All bad plan. Yeah, his, his idea is, I'm going to break in, and we'll just see what happens. And then when they're caught... He's like, all right, let's see what happens next. Oh, they're torturing me. Uh, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to throw out an idea here and see if they bite on it. 99 times out of 100, this goes sideways, right? Right. Well, and so so it goes, it's an interesting element. Like, I think Hopper, I did not like Hopper <laughs> in this, in this, this all episode. Right. All right. Because, you know, and I know we're probably jumping jump in the role but it's like i don't know why you would assume at this point that brenner is is a man of his word right that's right well he does he does try that little thing where it's like hey i'm gonna i got something sent to the the new york times and we're gonna blow you wide open i mean maybe that threat works. yeah and it's like when it's like okay well then why don't you go in the upside down and see what happens <laughs> You 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 go in the upside down. You know we're we're demigorgons and people that were once mm. living are. Yeah. And uh, and and then and then yeah, if you if you get out of there, you know, go go do your thing. Here's the thing, because of... if he goes and gets L, then he's got he's like, oh, I got a super weapon. Yeah. So here's what I was thinking, because I was I was trying to make this make sense, because I like this show a lot. And I was trying to make sense of Brenner's motivations here. Hopper knows that he Hopper, who is a policeman, knows that Brenner has had people killed. High school buddies like Benny have been killed by Brenner and his goons. There's no way that Brenner lets this guy go. The only thing that I can think of is that he's thinking, well, basically sending him into the upside down is going to kill him. So he's asking to go into the briar patch. I'm going to send him into the briar patch. That's kind of how I have to read it. Otherwise, it's just like, yeah, this is a really weak point in the plot here. Yeah, I, and it was a hard one to, because I kept on rooting for something different to mm -hmm. happen from it, and it wasn't. And it was just like, oh no, this is how it's going. It's kind of unsettling in a way. But if you're going to do that, and you're a scientist, wouldn't you have someone kind of monitoring what happens to them in the upside down? 
You would think. It seemed like they were running out of goons. <laughs> Maybe that was the problem. There's a goon shortage in Hawkins. <laughs> I did, I'll tell you something that I really liked about this storyline. We've talked more than once, like, can Elle control her powers? Does she actually know what will happen? Like, mm-hmm. when she breaks the bully's arm, does she know that that's not going to kill the, the guy? We've seen her snap necks. In this one, we see that she does that whole uh, Dr. X freeze move that she's done before. Right. And when she did it before, she just made the bully piss his pants, right? Mm-hmm. And this time she makes their brains explode or something? Yeah, their heads pissed their sockets. <laughs> so clearly she can control her powers. She has sort of a, she knows how to turn it down to one. Like she, she can turn it to stun if right. she wants to. And she knew enough that it was like, hey, if I'm going to kill this demigorgon, I'm I'm out. That's right. So that's kind of the that's I think maybe the more of the reveal going back to that original question was that she's more aware of what she's capable of than I think we thought going into it. Here we go. We got ourselves a number one. This is Joyce and Hopper. Joyce is interrogated by Brenner. Brenner says that six people have been taken by the creature and he wants her to help. Joyce tells Brenner to go to hell. Meanwhile, Hopper is being tortured. Hopper demands to be allowed to find Will. In exchange, he promises to forget everything he knows about Hawkins Labs and to give up the location of Eleven. They are given suits to enter the gate. While in the Upside Down, Hopper flashes back to a memory of his daughter. We learn that Sarah suffered from some sort of cancer and chemo treatment before she died. They find Will, who has been cocooned alien-style, Joyce pulls the face sucker from his mouth and Hopper pounds his chest until Will starts breathing again. Once Will is taken to the hospital, Hopper gets into a goon car while ominous music plays. So Hopper goes full Empire Strikes Back, right? And we even get the reference from Lucas. Because we have he's getting he's getting the 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 Han Solo torture. Right. Um, That's right. But but he goes full Lando, right? And Lucas nice. even calls it out. Like, nice. I love that moment. Love the moment when Lucas just goes Lando, like because he because he's like, hey, Hopper sold us out. It was a total like he made a deal with uh, he made a deal with the Empire that'll keep them, you know, <laughs> they'll keep Cloud City free of their. Uh, oh my their gosh, I totally missed this. You're so right about this. I thought that she was saying Lando because he thought that maybe Nancy sold them out, but it's clear. Yeah. Everything you say tracks. This is a total empire situation. Yeah. So that's where it's really interesting because, you know, Hopper's trying to do the right thing, but Hopper's oddly, oddly too trusting, but I don't know that he, so this is where it gets really fascinating to me. Like, and I I was anti-Hopper watching it, but I may be talking myself into a more pro-Hopper or at least a Hopper neutral stance. Um, And I think it all has to do with the flashbacks. I think, I think his... His emphasis on Will kind of clouds his 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 judgment on the other three. Hmm. Um, I think I think there's just I think I mean there could be an element of like, look, I don't know if any if, if I do nothing, the kids are in danger. Will is Will is on the way out. He's like, but he knows that there's a sense of urgency with Will for sure. Will is in in the most imminent danger of all of them, right? Because I mean he's in the upside down. So he's sort of hell bent on that because because Will essentially has 
kind of like a death sentence. Hmm. And the others, there's a certain amount of hope, like, hey, maybe, maybe this will work out. You know, he doesn't have a strong attachment to to L per se, um, but his attachment towards Joyce, his, uh, you know, sort of this the sense of saving, an, you know, his daughter by proxy, like that might be sort of clouding his judgment, and he's just kind of throwing everything against the wall. Or and, it's that we've already noted that he's not really a strategic thinker, right? Right. It could be that, yeah, I'm going to give you L now. I'm going to deal with the first thing first. I'm going to get Will back the best way I can think of how to get Will back. And then I'll figure it out on the back end of this. I'll figure out how to make everything right with Eleven. You know? And there's another side of it that says, look, I am sending them towards a super weapon. These three kids do have L. Yeah, I don't fully understand her powers, but... But they got a fighting chance mm. as long as they have L. Hmm. And and I only have a fighting chance on this end if I don't have any of them here to 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 get in my way. Um and I think it's interesting as he's and him as him and Joyce are making their way through and he's having his flashbacks. It's interesting the role that he plays. Uh it becomes very paternal, not just for the for Will, but to Joyce. That's right. Um as she's getting kind of the coughing, he's that that connection with his daughter's coughing, and like he he starts to try to take care of her, and you get a sense of of, of this is now you get a, a better idea that Hopper's mission is this is pretty personal now. This is this is a cathartic. This is this is him trying to to make right. You know, well, when he was right. yeah, when he was the father to a dying child, he was completely powerless, and now he now he at least has some illusion of power and he's going to use it to the best of his ability because he can't deal with the powerlessness so he's going to he's going to punch his way out even if it doesn't really help you know he's he's just going to go down punching because he couldn't do that with his daughter right the idea of him like removing will from this system that he's attached to that's sort of keeping him alive sort of harkens imagery of of the daughter in, in mm. uh, the hospital and so it's like he's removing him from this to save it's just it's there's a lot of really great stuff there and i think it does help i think it helps a little bit that hopper is still a little bit flawed right i mean mm. we talk about like he, if he was a superhuman uh you know mastermind of a former soldier this or that and it just it then it becomes it it becomes less plausible and maybe less relatable um, and I think the idea that he made this deal that sort of seems like, like, what was his other option? Like, what was he going to do? Just threaten with the New York times and then just wait for everybody to just, you know, yeah, this is not a guy who has a plan. This is a guy who right. usually can sort of muscle his way through things. Yeah. Cause like if he's like, if these guys kill me, then there's nothing right. I can't get well. Mm-hmm. I can't protect those and kids. And we've already anyway. established that he's sort of self-destructive, right? Right. And this has actually worked for him in a way because without a sense of self-preservation, he can kind he kind of has something that no one else has in this story. Like he's got nothing to lose. And you've got and he's got to make a I mean you and you're in a situation where you're like you have to make a decision between sacrificing something, right? Mm-hmm. And and if you just give up on the will narrative, will goes, and then you're gonna hope that the other's gonna be okay. But like I said, if he's like, well, again, they've got a they got a fighter's chance. They got they have L. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and and there's a possibility that you know I save Will and and maybe maybe this doctor just we were able to work it out mm-hmm. and the kids get released and we just got to work that out and that's how it goes. Well, we'll cross that like you said, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Mm-hmm. But right now, I got to do something. Yeah, so I think that that that's pretty. It's pretty fascinating. It's interesting too how you know this this did feel like yeah if you had nine episodes maybe maybe we don't run into some of this right or maybe it's worse you know it's possible that it's just it's just worse i mean i do think that they with it with the time that they had they really have established hopper as this wounded creature who feels sort of backed in a corner emotionally and because of that he he's dangerous dangerous desperate man and that's sort of the one thing that these government types don't know how to deal with, right? Right. And so, so that's the so his weakness is the advantage in some case. And also, if you look at it from the kid's perspective too, it'd be like, well, I can't believe you sold us out. It's like, look, you know, I didn't ask to. I'm not trained for this. Sure. <laughs> I'm 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 the sheriff in Hawkins, Indiana. Mm-hmm. I didn't exactly think that there was going to be monsters mm-hmm. on my to do list. Well, and I wonder if you ask Dustin, you're like, okay, Dustin, you got to choose between L and Will. What's your choice? Right, right. Uh, you know, it's it's not a choice you want to make, but Hopper Hopper seems to think that he's he's the one that has to make that choice. I'm yeah, and he also it. could have just been like just just tired of Joyce's screaming. <laughs> just he like, just, look, either either I will I do will. anything. I will do. I'll bring her into the upside down, and we all die, and that's it. And I can I can have a moment's peace, or I get that kid, and everything is gonna be fine. And you know, just stop putting holes in her wall. I kind of like this lady, but her her life's a little bit of a train wreck. Okay, I'm rolling this. Uh, this is ep- or this is uh, storyline five. Storyline five. L and the boys part two. After killing the first round of goons, Eleven collapses. Then Brenner shows up with more goons. Eleven tells Brenner he's bad. Then the creature shows up. The goons die, and the kids hide in a classroom. When the creature finds them, Lucas shoots him, shoots it with his wrist rocket to no avail. Then Eleven wakes up. She says goodbye, Mike. And Thanos-style disintegrates the Demogorgon. And she disappears as well. Karen shows up, and there's an emotional ambulance tailgate moment. Later at the hospital, the boys are reunited with Will. Will wakes up in the hospital. Joyce and Jonathan dote upon him. He asks about Jonathan's wounded hand. Jonathan has made him a mixtape. They try to tell him the entire story of Eleven in less than a minute. I want to talk about (laughs) mixtapes. Back in the day, making a mixtape, there was a certain art to it. Oh yeah, and uh, you first the first thing you had to have the equipment, right? Right. You had to have a recording stereo system with two tape decks at least. Was there another way to do it, or you had to have it? You had to have. The... Well, you could record it right from the radio. And I and I did that, was that even sometimes. Harder. That's right. That was hard because you get the DJ in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It it took Cracker Jack timing. Uh, but as far as making a mixtape, there was a certain art to like, okay, what what kind of song order do I want this? Because the song right. order really mattered. There was no random function. And you were usually limited by the space. Yeah, and it's funny because like, I remember 
like mixtapes are really important too because i mean like you can then you you're you can manipulate and set tone for somebody especially if it's romantic i remember a female that shall not be named because you know this podcast is gonna be so popular um but there you know there would be moments of where we would share i don't know if intimacy is the right word but there was definitely these romantic themed moments and uh she would play peter gabriel's so in its entirety now most of the album fits fine for <laughs> trying to create a mood of intimacy but there's two songs that if they show up changes things dramatically <laughs> and those songs are sledgehammer and big time <laughs> And so you're making out you, Sledgehammer, is that what you're saying? I, I'm going to tell you, I'm a huge fan of both of those jams. <laughs> and I learned a little something about myself, is that even though it was, you know, high school in the midst of hormonal angst, I don't think I was ever as horny as I was excited to dance to Sledgehammer. <laughs> So and I mean, so let, so I mean, you're making it would go because the, and, the and, track listing is "Red Rain" uh-huh. and "Red Rain Is Falling," and then everything is like, "Oh man, what a what like of a almost somber, melancholic type romantic setting," and all of a sudden, and I'm just like, "Oh damn, I gotta, I gotta dance." <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, "Here we go," <laughs> and just. Watching someone, and again, this is on tape, watching someone try to fast forward to try to change the mood. And I'm like, nope, it's gone. <laughs> it is gone. <laughs> oh, my. Because, so <laughs> same thing. Big time with uh, side two, you get through in your eyes. I think you end up towards Mercy Street. And then it's, hi there. <laughs> so I'm on my way of making. Oh, man. And that's it. I'm like, oh, this song, this song slaps. So either. Either Peter Gabriel has no idea how to transition from one song to the next, or he's a lot like you. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, sometimes I want to like pause my makeout session and just start dancing. Just right there. Right. Right there in the middle. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and I, I was attracted to this, this female, but I might've been a little gay for Peter Gabriel. Well, Steve. I think this podcast was completely worth it just for that admission. <laughs> well, I'll add this little little bit of fun information is that when I, the night that I got passed as a comic at uh, Punchline for the Live Nation uh, comedy clubs, as soon as I was told uh, that I had passed my audition in the background, Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer came on and I, my life. It comes full circle. The circle was complete. That's beautiful. (laughs) All right, I'm rolling it. Um, This is number one. No, we've already done number one. Number two. Jonathan and Nancy return to the buyer's house and build a bunch of Demogorgon traps then they cut themselves to attract the creature. Before the creature arrives, Steve Harrington shows up. Nancy points a gun at Steve and tells him to get out. That is when the creature shows up. 
The three run, and the creature leaves, seemingly distracted by Hopper and Joyce in the Upside Down. Steve leaves, but returns when he sees flashing lights through the windows. Jonathan is knocked down. Nancy empties the gun on the creature, but Steve, with a spiked bat, seems to menace the creature. It gets caught in a bear trap, and Jonathan sets it on fire. Then he puts the fire out with a fire extinguisher, but the creature has disappeared. Steve, why do people in movies and on television cut their palms if they have to cut themselves? Um, I feel like I've seen this a dozen times. People that yeah. want to cut themselves decide they're going to do it right on the palm. Where would you cut yourself? I don't know, near my elbow or something. I mean, not on my palm. I'm going to need to use my palm. Right. Yeah, you've just put together a bat that's going to need your palm. You've got a gun that's going to need your palm. I could see if, like, you want to, like, shake hands with blood or something. Right, right. I like the elbow. I think the elbow is a good spot. Um, I mean, I don't know how bloody it gets, but it's going to get bloody. Cut it. Maybe just a tiny, a tiny little cut on your head. That thing's gonna bleed a bunch. You don't have to cut as much because it's gonna bleed so much. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, this doesn't yeah. make any sense. Whenever I see it on a show, I think this makes zero sense. I've never. And how had much to blood do, do you need? I don't know. I don't know. Like, just pick your nose a bunch. I want to change the tone of this scene a lot. <laughs> They're just both digging. You getting anything? No. Try the other one. How? You know what? I'd rather be punching the nose, I think. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a bad idea. Uh, all right. Here's what did work for me in this scene. I really liked that. I think in order to make it believable that Joyce and Hopper can sort of get through the upside down Hawkins world to find Will they're going to need someone distracting the Demogorgon somewhere else. And so even though it wasn't coordinated, it worked for me that it was pretty clear that the Demogorgon leaves because he's, it's been distracted for for some reason. Uh, So the fact that these things are happening simultaneously made the plot work for me. And, And I don't think it would have otherwise. I agree. In this scene, we see, or at least we're supposed to see, the full conversion of Steve Harrington, right? Yeah, and it's pretty great. I think Harrington's pretty crucial. I, I feel um, it just it added it. It could have felt like it was just one plot point too much, but I think they they found a really good balance once again to take it. And again, this might be me looking down future seasons. Um, but I do like the Harrington conversion and where I was a little bit, I felt it was a little bit abrupt, maybe not as organically produced in, in the last episode, since we've already gotten here, Mm -hmm. I was all in, um, you know, so at that point I was, and, and, you know, you're caught in the, the sort of the frenzy of, of this being the, the season finale and, and, you know, this, you know, the rubber's hitting the road here. And uh, and Harrington adds a little comic relief. He does that bat flip. Oh, baby. <laughs> I was so in on that bat flip. So it was kind of nice because there was an element of like, I mean, Harrington's, he's a jerk. But, you know, he's, he's still the cool kid, right? Well, and here's like, the thing. I thought that was. 
this really worked for me because I felt like it subverted a pretty typical trope. And that is, you know, school bully shows up and of course the demographic, someone's got to die, might as well make the right, school. Right. Because of course, Nancy and Jonathan, they're clearly becoming a thing. Steve Harrington is probably pretty good for Demogorgon food at this point. Well, the first time I watched this, I was not expecting that turn. You feel like this is going to be Harrington will. I kind of felt like this is a perfect opportunity to do one of two things. Uh, kind of to your point is yeah, you eliminate the bully. Yeah. That's that's sort of a lesson. The or good guys flip side win, is, the bully gets his, right? You're right. Or the flip side is, look, this this kid is trying to convert, and he he will die uh, flipping his own narrative, right? Like, he'll he'll do something to mm-hmm. get in the way or save them, and it was like, all right, his memory is is better now. Yeah, he's rehabilitated um, his legacy or something. But, we don't, but he's not here to complicate mm-hmm. future sure. episodes. And so they went the whole other direction, and he's kind of... Kind of comes through, comes through in the clutch. Not only does he come and, through, but it completes his conversion so much so that at the end of the and, at the end of Nancy. the episode, he gets the girl and Jonathan doesn't. I know, and you know what? Chicks dig the bat flip. <laughs> they, they seem, they seem to. And I'll tell you what: the first time I saw it, I thought, "Oh, this is brilliant," because. Even though I hate everything about this, you know, I wanted Jonathan to get the girl. This seems more realistic. Yeah. You know, she saw him. She saw him do that bat flip. Of course. Yeah. Of course she's going to want to be with Harrington. And let's face it, the hair trumps everything. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, it's just a – and what I love about that is if that – like. Interesting, like if it was just the one season, mm-hmm. you're left with a lot of tension. Like, well, why? And what happens next? What's going to go on? with? I mean, there's so much of that. And so they did such a good job where, again, the whole series, the whole season up to this point, we've talked about how they balance uh, the supernatural with the natural, like mm-hmm. the, the plot points, you know. And and I, I, it, I know the first time I watched it, I felt this way, and that was... I was as much on the is L alive mm-hmm. as I was. What's going to happen with this Nancy, Steve, Jonathan mm-hmm. thing? That's right. And I was just as into that. And, you know, and of course, you know, the, there's a cliffhanger with Will. But this was that was that was right up there. I was just as invested. Well, and it it brings the whole series back to sort of a baseline of normalcy, right? Right, we're all going back to where we were. Let's all just yeah. We move defeated on. the supernatural threat. Now everything's got to settle back into life as it was. What is more realistic that Nancy would be with Jonathan and give up all of her status at school and go with the guy with that that's a little bit less cute, a little bit less popular? No, that's not going to happen. Right. So if we want to return Hawkins to normal, Nancy goes with Steve the Hare Harrington. All right, I'm rolling it. We have ourselves, we already have a one, so I'm rolling it again. Have ourselves a six. Steve, this is the Christmas resolution scene. Mm. A month later, the boys are playing D&D again like old times. 
Jonathan gets a gift from Nancy. Ted sleeps in his lazy boy like a boss. Nancy and Steve Harrington snuggle on the couch. Hopper takes food from his Christmas party and brings it to the woods. He puts the food and Eggo waffles in a box. Will coughs up upside-down worms into the sink and has a PTSD moment in the bathroom. I thought it was a nice little tying together of all the Star Wars themes to have the boys' final campaign end kind of with an anticlimax. And then they're like, is that it? And then uh, I think uh, Mike says, well, there was going to be a medal ceremony. And everyone's right, like right. pretty upset about that whole situation. Uh, it makes me think, given the given the Empire themes that you mentioned earlier, that maybe we ought to cover Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, I was thinking something similar. Well, if all right, so the medal ceremony, of course, is is a new hope, right? Right. But it seems like there's been more Empire references over the course of this season. If we were going right. to cover one of the original trilogy, what do you think that we should do? Yeah, I mean, I feel like Empire, because there's so many, there's the Lando references made. Um, yeah, because I mean, I'm trying to think if that even, like when this was taking place, because this is 83, is that right? Was it supposed to be? Yeah. So we're not, we don't even have, uh, Return of the Jedi yet, right? In their world. No, I, uh, clearly Empire Strikes Back is going to be the the biggest because it's like it's like a, it's like one or two years removed from Empire Strikes Back. And you right? didn't, when did you get you didn't it yet introduced? Have, was that when did you get introduced to Star Wars? Were you right out the gate, or were you later? I'm much later. Uh, I think that the first. All right, so I first saw A New Hope at Joel Ferruccio's birthday party. Whoa! That no, is no, no, late. eighth birthday party. Okay, still late. And I fell asleep. Oh wow! I was like fell asleep on his like living room floor. Uh, because of course, A New Hope has a lot, <laughs> a lot of dead time. Uh, yeah, it does right in the middle. And if you're eight years old, man, and I was probably if it was his eighth birthday, I was I was definitely seven years old. And then, I don't know when I saw Empire Strikes Back, but the first one I saw in the theater was Return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, now, you saw the first one in the theater? Is that Do I have that right? Uh, that is right. I've seen them all in the theater. You couldn't have been more than, what, two years old? Yeah, I think so. I think I was... Two, two, or I mean, or could it be like that was when they would re-release movies a lot, so, and and oh, movies would yeah, do multiple so. runs. So I could have been like in the three-year-old range, but I uh, I remember going in, and I was so little. Went to Cottingtown Cinemas, and uh, I went in, and I saw C three PO and R two D two walking, and I wouldn't go down the aisle because I was too it was too loud and it was so overwhelming. So my mom took me in to go see Alice in Wonderland instead. And I just sat there stewing during the entirety of Alice in Wonderland because I really was kicking myself for not going and sticking it through. And so I think the next week I said, I'm ready. And uh, and I went in and I was just hooked, super hooked. And I remember my first Star Wars action figure I bought at Sprouse Ritz with my dad. <laughs> 
Mm. And it was a gonk droid. Really? Yeah. Huh. The gonk droid. Because Sprouseritz didn't have like a vast toy collection. Sure. So so they probably just got a shipment of Star Wars figures and it was just like gonk droids and, and uh, you know, Jawas. Now, were you ever a Star Wars character for Halloween? I was R2-D2 back when you could get those like plastic smocks and those um, nice. really thin plastic masks that would just destroy your face and try to cut up every of aspect of your of your forehead <laughs> with held together by the 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 flimsiest tiniest rubber band ever made <laughs> now i was an ewok one year and my mom was gonna make it from scratch oh nice and i remember we went to the sort of material store and she saw how much it was going to be to like buy fake fur to make this thing and so she decided to make it out of corduroy instead. <laughs> yes. So I was something that was unrecognizable. And every single time I would knock on the door and say, trick or treat, be like, what, what are you? <laughs> I'm a little corduroy creature. <laughs> I am L.L. Bean from the moon Endor. I wish I still had that little costume. Holy moly. <laughs> oh. Knowing my mom, she probably repurposed the corduroy and made something. Made me like a, a church vest out of it or something. <laughs> that is... That, that's one of the saddest stories. <laughs> ever heard <laughs> oh geez all right well i think that the... it's not enough to not like like, like you're being told you're gonna have a costume mm-hmm. that's from a movie you're a big fan of and then to just you at some point you had to be watching that thing get made and go ah this this is not gonna be this juice is not gonna be worth the squeeze <laughs> and uh and then when it like comes out pieces of fabric the... <laughs> Like, if you cut corduroy and, like, don't stitch around it enough, there'll be little pieces of fabric that will just, like, fall off. And I remember those just <laughs> falling in my eyes. <laughs> little pieces of corduroy in my eyes. It's bad enough to to have a corduroy Ewok outfit. But then to have the bad insult where you got to go around and explaining who you, what you are. Who are you? <laughs> I'm an Ewok. Oh. <laughs> Is that right? I think I was young enough that I just called you're having to justify. <laughs> you're gonna have to justify getting that Butterfinger. <laughs> I remember specifically, like, what are you? I'm Wicket. What's a Wicket? What? <laughs> the idea, like, by House Five, you're just like, I'm the Corduroy Kid. <laughs> When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
getting geared up for the 6th annual Summer Badass Fest. And while we're working on a slate of apex badass films to enjoy, we've got an early action-packed announcement to make. Just like last year, we're kicking off Badass Season with a live movie watch and podcast recording. We've rented out a theater for connoisseurs of action films and bald move fans that just want to have a great time. Unlike last year, this year's movie is top secret. Hush, hush. No hints, except it's incredibly badass. It stars an absolute icon of the genre. We're willing to bet most of you haven't seen it, and it's going to be an incredible viewing experience with a packed house of bald movers. Those of you who came to last year's screening of Total Recall know what a party it was. And those of you who didn't, (laughs) now's your chance to experience it. Meet me and Jim, order some custom movie-themed drinks at the theater's full bar, then watch us record the full podcast for the movie. We reserved a venue over twice the size as last year, but seating is still limited. It's happening Friday, 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 June 21st at 7 p.m. in our hometown of Cincinnati. Get full details and buy tickets at baldmove.com slash live. Cincinnati's actually a pretty great city to visit, and we've got lots of details for side adventures on our event page as well. The Reds are playing the Boston Red Sox in their fantastic Riverside Stadium. The thrills of Kings Island just minutes away, and I'll be leading a kayak trip down the scenic Little Miami River on Saturday. Again, get full details and get your tickets now on our Badass Fest 6 page at baldmove.com slash live live. I do want to talk about a few of the alien themes that we saw throughout the season. So I wrote down a few of them. We noted that the suits that they wear in the Upside Down Mm -hmm. were consciously modeled after Alien. But the Rift has a very sort of um, like when, when they push through into the Rift or the gate, all of that kind of alien gunk or whatever. (laughs) I guess you can see that in a lot of sci-fi films, but that was very alien. Right. And and the way that the alien, you know, is in like the way it's basically inside through the mouth and like there's that big the mouth root. sucker or the face sucker, yeah. absolutely that, that's yeah. alien. The the little the tiny little slug, I don't know, embryo or something. And then Hopper and Joyce go into the upside down. There's this they focus in on this little hatched egg that's on the ground. That egg growing out of the ground thing. I mean, that that was a. I think that was a purposeful homage. Yeah. Uh, in addition to that, the uh, the I think the voice of the monster is a little bit alien. Mm, it's, it's sort of that little. Um, it's got that little echo at the end. Yeah, I, yeah, I catch that. And then I know from interviews that the that the way that they were able to convince. Millie Bobby Brown to shave her head was they showed her a scene from Aliens. Alien. No, or, or was it Aliens or was it Alien 3? Oh, what? I, it was one of those Cause, two because I know at one cause, point. Because Alien 3 is when uh, Sigourney Weaver is in the, the uh, prison colony. Oh, and, that was and, it. and she shaves her head. 
Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that that sounds right. That sounds right. So in all those ways, I think that they're and this and this episode, I mean, even like being in the upside down, it does feel a little bit like you're not quite in outer space, but you're not on Earth anymore. Oh, Jesus, man, that's a Gucci. My first thought when I saw the chestburster, yeah, he's kind of cute. Yeah, a little bit. I was thinking, I, I, I wonder who's cuter, ET or this chestburster. Well, and I thought about that a lot. Actually, I was like, why is is why is he cute? Is he cute because he's small? And I liked the idea that uh, I, I like to think that they intentionally made him a little cute because just in regardless of creature, babies are always just a touch cuter. Yeah, they're yeah, they're they're, they're kind of an exaggerated version. Those little jaws um, with the the silver teeth. I mean, yeah, the idea that he's cute seems both authentic and contradictory. Like at one hand, I'm like, yeah, well, well he's kind of cute. I like that. I like the idea. And then it's even more interesting the fact that oh, this thing is terrifying, and it's adorable. <laughs> All right, let's talk about how fast this thing grows up. Yeah, I'd like to see that thing's underwear. <laughs> this thing goes from Alvin and the Chipmunk to Harry and the Hendersons in like <laughs> a space of an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as as far as we're understanding the time, for sure. And we see we see like one of its molted skin. Yeah, and it was like it went from that to like, well, I guess I'm giant now. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the molted skin or whatever that Harry yeah, Dean Stanton the, picks up. The, yeah, when he, he finds the the alien condom, it's actually made of condoms. Yeah, so you were expecting it to be a little bigger, and then it's yeah, <laughs> then it's Dikembe Mutombo. <laughs> Who is this movie made for? Um, I think it's a general audience, right? I think it's a general adult audience because because I, I I think there's something. It doesn't feel so sci-fi. I mean, it's sci-fi, but like, it doesn't feel so sci-fi that it, you're going to get caught up in the technical side, right? Um, mm-hmm. And I think that goes back to what you were saying is that, hey, these are just, they're, they're workers. They're worker bees, essentially, right? I mean, they're on this ship, but like, and that makes them a little bit more relatable in the sense that, I mean, you have a science officer uh, who, who has, but they defer to him a lot, right? You don't really... He gets a little sciencey, but a lot of it's like, hey, that's why you're the science officer. And that kind of feels like that helps a kind of like the lay person be like, yeah, I wouldn't get it either. And don't explain it to me. Let that guy figure it out. Sure. Yeah. I think it's for people who enjoyed like 2001, Star Wars. They just thought, we need a space movie. And for some reason, space movies are selling. So let's do Jaws in Space. And I think think it was the right it was the exact right time for this particular movie because 2001 is glacially slow you know (laughs) talk about sci-fi i mean if you're not into sci-fi you are absolutely not gonna like that movie right and i i dislike that movie so much that it almost made me hate (laughs) sci-fi okay i loved it of course because i'm Mm. a river run suit kind of guy and uh, and then, of course, you've got Star Wars on the other end of it, you know, which is sort of it's more of an action. Fl- I mean, you, you could argue it, it's not sci-fi at all. It's it's fantasy, act, uh, you know, fantasy adventure probably, or something. Yeah, I think I think fantasy is a really good way to put that because there is it's sci-fi because it's in space and there's mm-hmm. robots and all that. But um, 
but it it does follow more of the fantasy ideals than it does um yeah i think and i think maybe that's also maybe maybe that's part of the reason why um the prequels aren't as well regarded i mean there's a few reasons but maybe it dips its toe a little bit more into science fiction in the sense that it by by it being more political mm. by it trying to have some other sort of statement it becomes less fantasy and more and more science fiction and maybe that's sure that's a maybe that's a jarring uh part yeah. of for the for the the audience that it had uh cultivated right well w- regardless of that this movie is like right in that sweet spot whereas if star wars was a little bit too action adventure for you or a little bit too you know i don't know disneyland for you and 2001 was a little bit too i don't know philosophical or something this movie right i mean this is the perfect space movie for this particular moment in film history no i think so the other thing i want to talk about is the fact that when the alien gets into the escape pod he's just lounging there is he stuck? <laughs> he's he's completely horizontal, and it looks like he's on a shelf. Yeah, and he's what's he not. Doing? He yeah, looks what, like he just needs a nap. Yeah, what's what's he doing? And then and then like she has to like go through a variety of things to get him to, to kind of to spook him to get him out. <laughs> why, why is he just laying there? I, I don't know. I, don't I really mean, know. he and could be he, all tuckered out, I guess. Is he molting again, maybe? <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I, who knows what his motivations are? It took him, but it's a little bit weird to see him be so aggressive. And then... Not at all. <laughs> right, because he's like... It sees Tom Skerritt, and he reaches right at him. You know, picking up people, slamming slamming his second face into their face. And uh, and he's right there next to her, and he's just like... Nah, nah. It's like and he's she's taunting like, her. Oh. She's like, well, I'm going to go get change. And he's like, well, it's fine. I'm all tangled up in here anyway. I don't know what I was thinking. You know what? What was happening is it's not until she actually puts on clothes. That's when he gets upset. That's, <laughs> That's what this fired is the, him up. This is the thing. He is, he's absolutely only going to attack bad fashion. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> I, maybe he was being respectful. He's like, look, I'm going to give you a fighting chance. Look at this underwear. You can't. <laughs> Yeah, I don't, I mean, there's, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, and yeah, that's, that's, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I was a lot of times like, well, it's convenient that he's just laying down and kind of caught in whatever that was. Like he actually had to go out of his way to hide in that. Dude, you, you've been fine up until this point. 